verse, Proverbs 14. Remain seated if you don't mind. Look down to verse number 34. Proverbs 14. And let's look down to verse 34. The Bible says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Let's read that again. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And I'm going to pray one more time. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray we take this one verse tonight and see exactly what you would have us to know from it, receive the message, and respond to it during the invitation. And I pray that, Lord, we do something to help our country tonight through being obedient to your word. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned to you Sunday we're about to celebrate 244 years as what I would call the greatest nation on planet Earth. We're not a perfect nation by any means. We have an imperfect past and we have problems in our present. But I want you to understand something tonight, that the future is always brighter uh, when the United States of America is in existence on planet Earth. You look around the world and you see that America is light years ahead of any alternative that is on the planet. Now, uh, if you think that I believe in American exceptionalism, you are right. I believe God has blessed this country to get to the place that we are at. And when you look at any alternative to the United States of America, it should scare you to death. I know there are some who would love to see this country overthrown and something else would take its place, but I assure you tonight, if we try the alternative, we won't like it whatsoever. Ronald Reagan, in his famous speech that was entitled A Time for Choosing, told the story of a Cuban refugee uh, who had escaped the, the clutches of Fidel Castro and the communism and come to America and began to tell the stories of how limited life was there under communism and uh, how he'd escaped that and how thankful he was to come to America. And one of the bystanders there uh, in the story that Reagan told says, boy, we sure are lucky to be Americans. And the one who had defected from communism says, no, I'm lucky that there was an America to run to. And it was in that speech that Ronald Reagan said this, if we lose freedom here, there's nowhere to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. I want you to think about that tonight. This is the last stand on earth. Now, this was said some 30-something years ago. If America was the last stand of freedom on earth over 30 years ago, uh, you better believe it's definitely the last stand for freedom on earth right now, but I believe that, that freedom is somewhat shaky at the moment. I believe if you look at our country and what the, the way things are going right now, economically and principally, and with all the things that are going on with our election and things that are going on and socially in our country right now, you'll see a lot of that is in, in jeopardy. And everyone is offering solutions tonight on how we can fix our company, our country. We're offering economic solutions that if we just had more money here and we just gave away this and gave away that, then that would solve the problem. Uh, in just a few months, we're going to have an election. And a lot of people think that the answer to the problems one way or the other are going to be solved in the ballot box. Some believe it's going to be solved socially. Some believe it will be solved judicially. But I fear this tonight. Hear me out, Okay. I believe so many of the solutions that are being offered to the problems that we have in America today are merely going to treat the symptoms to our problems. The symptoms. It's like someone having the flu and you giving them a Kleenex. I'm sure they appreciate the Kleenex, all right? And the Kleenex can help with the symptoms, but the Kleenex is not going to help with the flu. And today what we see happening in our country is people wondering, where are we going to go from here? 
I've never seen our country in the shape it's in tonight. I'm only 40 years old. You folks who've been around longer than I have, I've talked to some of you, and you've told me even the same, that during some of the world wars, there was not this much division internally in America. There could be opposition outside of America. There's always been that. A lot of it, to be honest with you, is just because of plain old envy, the green-eyed monster. But I've never seen, nor have I talked to many who have ever seen this much division internally in America. And a house that's divided against itself, what does the Bible say? It cannot stand. And we're left as the people of God to decide right now, where do we go from here? I talked to a pastor today at length on the phone, and he asked a question to me that I'll be honest with you, I've pondered in my heart many times over the past three and six months. How do we lead through this? I know how to pastor a church in a country that's moving forward. There's always going to be differences and division. That's just because we're different human beings. And it's not always bad to be different, by the way. We've got to learn to like people that we disagree with. We live in this cancel culture where if you disagree with someone, you throw them away. And that's what's killing our country. We're canceling each other out. As we watch our enemies of freedom around the world, they're reveling in it. So Iran today, how Iran is reveling in the fact that America is blowing themselves up internally. China's banking on it, that America is going to divide itself and do away with itself, and they will never have to fire a shot. It's very, very interesting that when we read uh, in the end times in the Word of God in Revelation and Daniel, it's kind of hard to find a country that resembles the United States. We see other countries there. But where's the United States? I believe the truth of the matter is we will destroy ourselves from within. But right now, we are still here, all right? We're still here. There, I believe there is still hope. Whether or not God allows us to have a time of revival, I don't know. I can't predict that. I don't know if God's just getting our attention and allowing us to return to him, or maybe we're just going to have to live throughout the rest of this until the trump of God sounds. I don't know. But as long as we draw breath, we, the people of God, ought to be about the business of the people of God, our Father's business. So to answer the question the pastor asked me today on the phone, which way do we lead through all of this? I'm reminded of one of my daughter's favorite animated characters, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, She perfectly sums up my daughter and how my daughter thinks and how she acts. What does she say? She imagines six impossible things or ten impossible things just before breakfast. That's why my daughter likes her, because she really relates to Alice in Wonderland. And if you recall, when Alice was walking down the path, she sees the Cheshire cat up in the tree, and she asks him, which way do I go and which road do I take? And the Cheshire cat looked down at her and says, well, where do you want to go? And she says, well, I don't know. He says, well, if you don't know where you want to go, then it really doesn't matter which road you take. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I know where I want to go. And I know where I believe God wants our country to go. Just because it looks like everything's falling apart doesn't mean we are relinquished from our responsibility as the people of God to be salt and light in the world that we live in today. I know where we want to go. And so therefore, if we know where we want to go to have the blessings and prosperity of God and his hand upon our country again, we've got to decide to take the right path that is going to lead to that. If it matters where we end up tonight, we must choose carefully as we move forward from here. I don't believe we can afford to get it wrong very much more times. I don't believe we can. As a matter of fact, I don't know that we can afford to get it wrong at all. And so tonight I'm going to rob Ronald Reagan's title of his speech for the title of our message tonight. And I'm going to give you a message, a short message. Well, I'm going to give you a message until 8.15, okay? I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the Lord will allow us to go to 8.15 entitled A Time of Choosing. A Time of Choosing. 
I believe we as the people of God are at that crossroads that Alice was at. And right now at this this crossroads, we're about to make decisions. If by the grace of God, we get to make this decision. I don't know if we're going to get to. But if we get to make the decision on where we want to end up, we must decide right now which direction we're going. And the good news is, well, the good and bad news is there's only two choices. And we get to pick. It's one we can't afford to get wrong. So look down at verse 34, and we're going to look at the two choices tonight because we're living in a time of choosing. And if we get this wrong, I believe our country is doomed. Verse 34, the Bible says, Righteousness exalteth a nation. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Now, notice that word exalteth. It means elevated or lifted up. That's a direction, is it not? The Bible says righteousness exalts us or lifts up or elevates a nation. Now, you know me. I'm the optimist. And so I'm going to start with the good news tonight. I want you to notice, number one, tonight, the rise of a nation. Notice the rise of a nation. The Bible says that righteousness exalteth a nation. Listen, elevated status ought to be something we understand as Americans. We have lived, we were born in an elevated status. Does it matter if you were born uh, in the backwoods of West Virginia or Kentucky or out west in the deserts of New Mexico? Does it matter where you were born? If you were born in the United States of America, you were born in an elevated status. If you don't believe me, just go to a foreign country and you'll realize that no matter how poor you are, you are rich compared to most people that live on planet Earth. As a matter of fact, we're accustomed to it. Uh, I've been to many, many foreign countries. Most of them are third world countries and all of them are lesser countries in America. Not saying the people are, but I'm talking about status-wise and uh, economically, they are lesser than Americans. And as we walk through these, these little, uh, little shops, we walk through these little uh, bazaars that they have, or they're selling the little crafts and wares of those places, you gain attention just because you're an American. I mean, I actually feel like a somebody. You walk through there. I remember we were in Uganda, and we're walking through one of these little village markets, and they're selling all of this tourist stuff, and they smelt me coming. I love souvenirs. Now, I'm not talking about the cheapo things, but I'm talking about the hand-carved things, and I brought back little turtles and giraffes and uh, lions and all that things that was carved there in Uganda. I have a sword, a little dagger in my office that someone made that was there. And as soon as they hear you speak, and they can tell you're an American, they just want to talk to you. They want to ask you about all kinds of things. Uh, do you know these NBA stars? And uh, do you know these characters off of television? And the answer usually is no, but you have an elevated status. Why? Just because you're an American. Uh, some of the greatest inventions have come out of America. As a matter of fact, I printed off a list of them. I want to read some of the inventions that America has produced in our 244-year history. America, I'm, I'm putting this one at the top. America invented potato chips. I think we got to put that one in there. The electric light bulb, the disc record. For those of you that were born after 1990, that is like a CD, but it's larger and it's black. I'm going down the list. We invented the machine gun. I had to mention that one. The skyscraper, cotton candy, the mousetrap, and the weed eater. I mean, we've given some wonderful gifts to the world. The taser, tennis shoes, video games, and the all-important post-it was invented in America. We invented the airplane, the traffic light, rocket fuel, sunglasses, frozen food, the digital computer, the nuclear bomb, and the disposable diaper. It's amazing that they came back to back. Do the math there on your own. 
Kevlar, the credit card, and on and on and on we could go. The space shuttle, NASA, it goes on and on. America has an elevated status. We are a blessed nation. So many of the things the world enjoys is because of the blessings of God upon America. We're the world's superpower militarily. Uh, We are the example of liberty and freedom all over the world. And we lead the world in humanitarian aid. I printed it off, but I forgot to bring it in here, giving you a list of the billions and billions of dollars that are in this year's budget to go around the world and help those that are less fortunate than we are. Why? Because we're an elevated nation. We have been risen, raised. But here's what I want you to see. It's vital we understand how we became exalted. It's important we understand that. If we don't realize how we got exalted, then listen, we're not going to know how to stay exalted. You ever discover something good? A good restaurant, a good food. Uh, look, I, that's probably one thing I remember more than anything. I won't remember people's names as well, but I'll remember foods and restaurants like the back of my hand. I can take you to a wonderful coffee shop. I was telling Miss Katie the other day about a wonderful coffee shop in Uganda by the name of Nando's, and they have wonderful coffee there. Some of you don't even know your name, but I remember a coffee shop that I went to 13 years ago in Uganda. I Listen, <laughs> I love food. And I want to know how to get back to good food, all right? Uh, If I go to a restaurant, I want to know how to get back there. What did I order? That was good. What did I order? Sometimes I'll tell the waitress, uh, just give me something good. And they'll bring me something. After the the meal, I'll say, what was that? I said, because I want to remember that. It's important we understand how we became elevated because we need to know where to go and what to do to remain elevated. And verse 34 shows us. The Bible says, righteousness exalteth a nation. The Bible is showing us how to be exalted and that a nation, in order to become exalted and remain exalted, it's the result of righteousness. Now, notice God only gives us one thing there. He doesn't say righteousness and this and this and this exalts a nation. He gives us one thing, one simple responsibility that if we desire as a nation to be exalted and remain exalted, we must put a priority on righteousness. Still matters to God. Still matters to God. Do you know why America became the exalted nation that we are, or at least we were? It's because our founding fathers, as flawed at times as they were, believed in righteousness. You find it in their quotes. I'll read some for you right quickly. Listen close with Patrick Henry, who I quoted Sunday morning, what he said. Righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. He says, reader, whoever thou art, remember this. In thy sphere, practice virtue thyself. Virtue is righteousness. And encourage it in others. The great pillars of all government and of all social life, I mean virtue, morality, and religion, this is the armor, my friend, and this alone that renders us invincible. He realized it. These men were there at the founding of our country, and they realized the only thing that allowed this country to come to being and that would keep this country exalted among all other nations was righteousness. John Adams put it this way, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other. Righteousness. Can I tell you something? It's a lot like a one-legged table. 
If you've only got one leg on your table, you better take care of that one leg. And can I tell you, the one leg that's holding up the United States of America, that established us and has exalted us, it has been the righteousness of this country. And yet we seem, listen, we just seem die hard to destroy that one leg that's holding us up. Why? Because we don't realize where it came from. Understand tonight, America will only matter as long as righteousness matters to Americans. All right? America is only going to matter and remain elevated as the country we are as long as righteousness matters to Americans. It's got to mean something to us. In our churches today, we don't hear much preached on righteousness or holiness anymore. I love Matthew 6.33. I really do. I quote it all the time, but even me sometimes will neglect to quote the entire verse. I'm very guilty, and I have to repent of that at times, of just quoting parts of verses when there's truth in every part of it. Matthew 6, what does it say? But seek ye first the kingdom of God. We seek that kingdom of God. The Bible says that all these things shall be added. So we're going to seek God, and all these things are going to be added. But whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a little part we like to omit, or maybe we conveniently overlook in the middle of that. It says, and his righteousness Don't you know tonight, listen, as an American, our happiness is directly dependent upon our holiness. Understand that. If you want to be happy as an American, you want to have a prosperous land, a land that is exalted by God, and a a land that is protected by God. Understand it's directly tied to our holiness. Righteousness, holiness, that's what exalts a nation. I had this conversation with somebody on the phone just yesterday that oftentimes we have this battle on the inside of us. Of happiness versus holiness. And I can only have one. And you gotta trade one to get the other. If I wanna be happy, I can't be holy. And if I wanna be holy, I can't be happy. Let's all smile together and understand this is a dilemma we've all faced before. Oh, if I wanna be happy, I can't be holy. And if I have to be holy, then there's no way I'm going to be happy. Can I tell you, that's a lie. To quote all the old preachers before me that came straight out of hell. We think one comes at the expense of the other. The truth is, they come as a result. One comes as a result of the other. So how do you know? Well, let me give you an example. Second Chronicles 7.14. We talk about it all the time. What does it end with? Heal their land. I don't know about you, but I would be so happy if our land would just be healed tonight. Oh, that would bring happiness to me. Oh, that would be happiness to our homes and families to see America coming back together and exalting God, living righteously again. I would love to have that. But what does the Bible say leads to the healing of our land? Humble themselves and pray. Oh, we got to humble ourselves and pray. We're praying and we're praying and we're praying. Keep reading. Humble themselves and pray. Then what does it go on to say? Something about seeking my face and then turning from their wicked ways. You know what that is? That's righteousness. Return to righteousness. He says, hey, you want to be happy and have a healed land. It's a result of holiness. Hosea 10, 12, the Bible says, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Oh, how I wish our country could have some mercy right now. Ask our family every night at the altar when we pray together, our family altar time, our devotion time, I ask God to have mercy on America. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God to bless America. But I think right now we'd be praying for mercy. Because you know what mercy does? Mercy is a confession and a request all in one. You're asking for mercy because you know you need it. 
You don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. God's blessed us so much. We should, listen, we should, we should be the most spiritual people in the world because of the blessings of God. But no, we've taken the blessings of God and we've used them as a reason not to be righteous and holy. Folks, we've got to sow to yourselves in righteousness and reap in mercy. Interesting story. ESPN quarterback commentator Joe Theismann was once explaining to his soon-to-be second ex-wife why he had an affair. Quote, God wants Joe Theismann to be happy. God wants Joe Theismann to be happy. I couldn't differ with him more. God wants Joe Theismann to be holy. That's why it's called holy matrimony. That used to mean something. It wasn't just a ceremony you went through. It was a holy matrimony. God wants Joe Theismann to be holy. And if Joe Theismann was holy, Joe Theismann would be happy. You see, one is a result of the other. The problem is we are chasing after prosperity and happiness when we realize all those things come from righteousness and holiness. That's what he says at the end of 633. And all these things shall be added. All these things that America enjoys now and has enjoyed for 244 years were the result of righteousness from Almighty God because righteousness exalts a nation. Can I tell you happiness is a lot cheaper God's way? Joe Theismann would probably agree with that. I wonder what he shelled out over the years because he decided to pursue happiness rather than holiness. Turn with me real quick. We've got a little time, all right? Turn with me to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai or Haggai, however you pronounce it, you know where we're going. All right? Chapter number 1. I want you to see something. We've got really comfortable chairs, so just kind of scooch down in there and get good and comfortable. Going to have a fireworks show later. It'll be worth your wait, I assure you. Right after Zephaniah, I go to Haggai. I want you to look down to verse number 5. Watch what happens here. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Oh, that's a good thing to do. Every once in a while, check up and you see how you're doing. God says, I want you to consider your ways. I want you to consider how things are going for you. Dr. Phil did not coin that. God did. How's that working for you? Verse 6, ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. God says you're doing a whole lot, but you're not getting much out of it. You ever had that problem before? You work and you work and you work and you work and you work, but you're not getting a whole lot of progress out of it. Can I tell you what you ought to do? You ought to consider your ways. And see, America, boy, we, we're trying and we're trying and we're trying. What are we trying to have? We're trying to have happiness, but we're not going about it the right way. Look down, if you will, to verse number 9. You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Can I tell you what's happening here? The house of God, the priority of the worship of God, has imploded. It sits in ruin. And he says, your houses, you read chapter 1, the first few verses, your houses are intact and your houses are sealed. You live in sealed houses, wonderful houses, but my house is in waste and ruin. What happened? They decided to pursue their own pleasure rather than God's priority. And God says, how's that working out for you? 
How's that working out for you? Consider your ways. You keep working and working and working, and you're putting money into a bag with holes in it. You ever had a hole in your pocket? Oh, my goodness. I think there's a hole in my wallet sometimes. You know, once you break a $100 bill or a $20 bill, it's just like it falls out the bottom of your wallet somewhere. It just disappears. God says this is what Israel was doing. They're working so hard, but they're working the wrong way. He said, if you just paid attention to my priorities rather than your pleasures, you would find true happiness. Here's what's interesting about 633. I want to go back to that just for a moment. Matthew 633, what's interesting about this verse is the Bible says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. Notice there's no seeking God without seeking righteousness. I'll tell you a hilarious story. I wouldn't have believed it if I wasn't there, and I even recorded part of it, but for the sake of the individual, I'm not going to play it for you tonight because I think the live stream is up and working. Last night, I decided I wanted some brownies around 10 o'clock. It's usually around 10 o'clock, and that's my problem. That's my problem. So I wanted some brownies, but you can't have brownies without milk. And we were out of milk. I mean, I tried coffee. I just can't do it. My wife's laughing because she knows what I'm about to say. So I said, I'm going to the corner store to get some milk. And so I hop in the car, I drive down to the corner store, and I get my milk. And I'm just kind of standing there in line thinking about my brownies. They're they in the oven. So when I get back, they're going to be ready to cut. I like them to steam a little bit. When I cut them, that's when I like to eat them. I don't like them cold. I like chocolate to be good. I just have a way that I like it, all right? I know that's weird, but I do. I'm standing there in line, and the lady in front of me is just kind of standing there. You know, she's happy to be there too. And uh, I said, how you doing? I'm doing good. I said, well, good, good. Good to meet somebody that's doing good. She says, I'm doing good because Jesus died for me. I'm right there with you. He died for me too. She says, my mama didn't die for me. I'm like, well, mine didn't either. But Jesus died for me. And I was excited about that. She was excited about that. And uh, she says, oh, if we as a nation would just humble ourselves. I said, well, amen. We about to break out and take up an offering or something right here in the corner store. She says, she says, if we as a nation would just humble ourselves and turn to him, boy, we'd find healing. She says, with a 25-ounce bush beer in her hand. Notice she says, if we'll turn to him. I caught it. I caught it. I heard what she said, and I heard what she didn't say. If we as a nation would just humble ourselves, amen, I'm right there with you. And if we'll just turn from our, turn to him, she says. It wasn't turn from our wicked ways, it was turn to him. Can I tell you, you can't do both. You can't turn to him without turning from sin. You can't have it both ways. This is why the Bible tells us that no man can serve two masters. Notice it says no man. I kind of believe when God says no man, he probably means it. It says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do both. We hear, we just got to turn to him. We just got to turn to him. I agree, but understand, as you turn to him, you are turning from something else. And therein lies our problem. We have this audacity to think that we can turn to God and not from sin, not happening. That's not righteousness. That's double-minded. And the Bible says that's unstable. I got to tell you this to finish the story out. So I'm sitting there, and she's just preaching a sermon there in line. You know, those people that buy those scratch-offs, man. I wish they had a special line for you. My brownies are cooking. 
And I got my milk, and oh, it's cold. I like my milk to be cold with my brownies. And this guy is getting these scratch-offs, and one of his scratch-offs is a winner, so he gets another scratch-off. I'm like, get out of line, man. You should get back in line and let me get my milk and get back home. Well, we get up there, and uh, I'm going I'm to be anonymous because I don't want to embarrass anybody, the lady that was there. But uh, she gets up there, and the guy checking out the counter, he had some interesting tattoos on his arm. She goes, oh, and she called his name. She says, whoa, you got some tattoos. Now, I'm just enjoying the show, to be honest with you. She goes, I don't got none because this is the temple of God. He says, that'll be $4.99 for the beer that she just set up there. And I'm just thinking, you ever think you're in the twilight zone? Is this, I, have, I have a recording of it. I sat there. I, could, I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there like this, recording this with my phone. I got it on here. No, I won't show you after the service, but I do have it on there. I mean, my, my goodness. She puts that beer up there that her hand could barely reach around and puts it up on the counter talking about turning to God and how our body's the temple. You see, we're picking and choosing what we want to be righteous about. That's not righteousness. Notice it says his righteousness in Matthew 6, It's not our righteousness, it's his. I want you to think about what Noah was preaching when the world was about to end. What does the Bible say in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5? They said, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What was Noah preaching at the end? Righteousness. What was he doing? He was attacking the root of the problem. It was unrighteousness. Why was God about to overflow the world with a flood? Because the world was unrighteous. All right? Was it just because people were mean and people had differences of opinion? No. They were unrighteous before a righteous and a holy God. And God says, I'm going to wipe the planet of them. What should we be preaching if the end of the world is right around the corner? We should be like Noah, a preacher of righteousness. 2 Samuel 2, uh, 22, verse 21, David says this, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. And oh, my goodness, back in the office today, Holy Spirit. You know, I, I think he has a gong. You know what that is? You know, I read that verse today. And I'm sitting there scrolling through the news about what's going on in our country today, and I'm wondering, is God rewarding us according to our righteousness. Is what's happening in America happening because of our unrighteousness? Are we reaping the reward of our righteousness? Can I tell you tonight, listen, folks, real quickly. Righteousness has always been God's principle for, pri for prosperity. Righteousness, that's been God's standard. If we want God's blessing and, and God's hand, it's righteousness that matters to God. And if we're going to have this country elevated again, it's going to be righteousness that gives rise of that. So look, look back in Proverbs. The Bible says, righteousness exalteth a nation. But notice what it goes on to say. Sin is a what? Sin is a reproach. That's a word we don't use much in our vernacular today. Sin is a reproach to any people. Now, the first choice is the good news. The Bible tells us that as we try to decide where we want to go, we want to be exalted again. We want America to be exalted again, and we want America to be preserved and prosperous again. Well, the answer to that is righteousness, because righteousness exalteth the nation. But it says sin is a reproach. It's a pr reproach. Now, you look up the word reproach, here's simply what it means, a bowing of the head. A bowing of the head. If righteousness will give rise to a nation, can I tell you what sin will do? It will bring it low. 
Sin will bring it low. The second thing I want to show you, the second choice that we've got to make in this time of choosing is the ruin of a nation. The ruin of a nation. When I was a teenager, uh, my dad uh, was kind of serious about this thing called work. And uh, we worked. If dad was working, we were working. Dad didn't have to ask us to get up on Saturday morning and come help him work. If dad was working, we went out to ask, dad, you need help working. That's the way we were raised. And uh, it just ruined my life, you know, that he taught me how to work. But I remember one Saturday we were uh, working on one of the cabins. We needed a load of sand, masonry sand, to lay the blocks from one of the boys' cabin. And Dad says, take the pickup truck, get the trailer, go to the ready-mix plant and get you some good masonry sand. And so I said, no problem. Drove it to town. And the guy comes over with this big old front-end loader and starts loading down. Now, I had a Ford F-150, 1986. It was ugly, but it was strong. And it's still ugly, and it's not as strong anymore, but it was a good truck. He comes over with that front end loader and he starts dropping the sand. He's kind of just doing this and dropping the sand there on the trailer. And he stops. He says, more? Yeah. It's a Ford pickup truck. Of course it can hold it. He just starts loading it down and that trailer starts to squatting down. I'm watching the tires on the fender and we still got that far to go. Bring it. Because I know I'm going to have to come back for another load. So I might as well go and get all of it at one time. I can go on, go on, go on. He says, are you sure? I said, Look, man, this is an American truck right here. It looked, it looked like it, too, just rough and tough, but it could get the job done. And Come on. And, it just, and then the back of the truck starts just kind of easing down, but I knew old Blue could handle it. Get on the road, start heading home, and not about a mile down the road, I start hearing, I couldn't tell what that was. All of a sudden, I had a double blowout. You see, my truck was strong, but my trailer wasn't. That was not my truck. It was my trailer. Blew out my tire. Tires got up in the fenders. The fenders tore the tires up and shredded and just blew out on the side of the road. And So now I'm, I'm stuck over. I'm having to eat, ease over in this ditch. You know how hard it is to change a trailer tire that's loaded full of sand? And you know, everybody's passing you. By. Everybody wants to honk when you're broke down on the side. Don't honk at me if I'm broke down. Okay? I don't want to see anybody. Don't wave at me, you know, just, just, just keep going. Pretend like I didn't see you because I have too much pride to be broke down on the side of the road. But here's what I want you to understand. I underestimated how heavy that sand was. See, the sand was wet and it was heavier than I thought that I could carry and it blew out the, the tires on my trailer and I was left there in the ditch because I didn't realize how heavy the sand was going to be. And I want you to think of that in light of our sin tonight, how often... Do we underestimate the weight of our sin? I can handle it. I can handle it. I'm an American. American. Bless God. Amen. American. And we try to carry sin. And we do good for the first couple of days. And then it weighs on us. And it weighs on us. And it weighs on us. And after a while, we are brought low. And we're left on the side of the road of life in the ditch because we thought we could handle something that was too heavy for us. The Bible says sin is a reproach. It's going to bow you low. Nehemiah chapter 1, I'll read this for you real quickly. Verse 3, the Bible says that when they're giving Nehemiah the report of the ruin of of Jerusalem, listen close. And they said unto me in verse 3, the remnant that are left in captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. What is the report? Jerusalem's been brought low. Brought low. 
The wall is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. How did it get there? Verse 6, Nehemiah says to God, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. Interesting, he's comparing reproach to sin. You see, sin, Israel thought, Jerusalem thought they could carry sin, but it got too heavy for them, and it blew them out. And now they sit in ruin. Judges chapter 16, real quickly, we find Samson on the bottom of the remains of a Colosseum. Do you know what he was buried underneath? Yeah, the Bible says the pillars. He put his hands on the pillars, and the pillars collapsed in on top of him, and he caved in that Colosseum of sorts in on top of him, and he was buried by the ruin of that Colosseum. No, can I tell you what Samson was buried by? He was buried by the weight of his sin. Samson was brought low. Samson was brought to ruin. Why? Because Samson thought, I'm the great and mighty Samson, and what a picture of America we have. God blessed us to be this mighty nation, this prosperous nation. But then we begin to think it was of ourselves and not of God. We find ourselves now just about in a place where Samson's at. About to be buried in the weight of our own sin because we're thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Joshua chapter 7, we find Achan and his family. They're buried under a pile of rocks. Achan and his wife and his children, all of their animals, have been stoned to death because of the sin of Achan. You say, well, they were stoned. No, they were buried by the weight of Achan's sin. You see, sin will always bring you low. Genesis 4, we find Cain saying, it's greater than I can what? Bear. Cain said, I've been carrying this sin, and I thought I could handle it, and I thought I could defy the word of God. I'm going to bring vegetables instead of a lamb, because that's what I want to do, and I can do what I want to do. And later he would say, it's greater than I can bear. I can't carry it. And can I tell you what's going to happen to this great country that I love dearly if God's people don't return to righteousness? You're going to see the ruin of this nation because we're trying to carry sin. It's too heavy for us. Now, let's bring it home real quick before we're done. You know, oftentimes we think that it's the sin outside of these walls. I know. Those guys up in Washington, good grief. People down there at the boats, we blame it on everybody in the world. But he said, 2 Chronicles 7, it's my people. Could it be that the people of God tonight are trying to carry something that God says you can't carry and that's our sin? Let me do something interesting real quick. Do you know this week, or the past couple of weeks, in Mississippi, Mississippi, there was legislation that would work toward securing our abortion laws in Mississippi. Not a word was said. Not a word was said. I have on record a Mississippi lawmaker stating to an association of Baptist churches, when they went up there, to talk about what's going on in our state right now civilly and trying to, to bring about, uh, you know, peace and social justice and whatnot. He says this to that church group, and I quote, the church has lost its credibility. Because just two weeks ago, we had a vote on abortion and nobody showed up. Can I tell you something? Abortion matters to God. The Bible says something about shedding innocent blood. There's no more innocent blood than for a child who's yet to leave the womb, and yet we're silent on that. Well, he says a word. 
If you got on WDAM's website today, you'll see that uh, prohibition is now officially gone in Mississippi. Our governor just signed making every county in our state a wet county now. Nobody said a word. God has something to say about that, I believe. Didn't God have to say something about alcohol or have we forgotten that? And yet we don't say anything about that. Abortion, the, the, the murder of the unborn and God's people have been silent. We're okay with unrighteousness. And I want to tell you, if this country's brought to ruin, we allowed it to happen. We just kept our mouths shut. Understand, the Bible's very clear. James 1.14, sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. We think we can carry it. We think we can do what we want to do and ignore the things that matter to God. And God says, that's fine. Right now, sin looks attractive and enticing. But when it's finished, it's going to bring forth death. And we look at our country now, and she's just about on life support. Now, look at this, and I'm done. Look at the end of of Proverbs. Go back to our verse. The Bible says that righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to who? any people, to any people. Do you know what that tells me? If you could see my Bible right here in the margin of my Bible, I wrote years ago, no exceptions. It says any people. You know what that means? The great and mighty United States of America, the envy of the world, the military powerhouse the most benevolent group of people on this planet who supply freedom and liberty and needs all over this world. There's no exceptions for you. That righteousness will exalt a nation. That's got to matter to the people of God again or we will see the ruin of a nation because God promises us that sin is a reproach. It's going to bring low any people. So I'll tell you this and I'm done. If you really care about America, Righteousness is going to matter to you. It must. Well, if I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to take up arms and we're going to defend against the, uh, the Muslims coming over and trying to overthrow us and the Chinese are going to try to overthrow us and all that. No, no, no. If you really care about America and defending America, the battle's not without, the battle's within. It's righteousness. If you tear up the roots of righteousness in this country, don't be surprised if the fruit begins to rot and the fruit begins to fall. Righteousness will give rise to a nation. And I am just praying. I cannot tell you. Don't ask me because I don't know. I'm just praying that there's some type of a revival amongst God's people that our free fall would stop. We would find that elevated place again. Or else we're going to see the ruin of this nation. Because sin is a reproach to any people. So I wonder tonight... How are we doing in that area of righteousness? How are we doing in that area of righteousness? We're living in this time. It's a time to choose. We have to choose. And if we want that exalted place again amongst the world, it's only one way. He says righteousness or nothing. And I pray tonight that God's people, the Holy Spirit of God, has stirred our heart and showed us areas in our life because it happens to us, doesn't it? Righteousness, unrighteousness, oh, how it can creep in. Invade our heart, and there'll be bitterness in there. There'll be wickedness in there. It happens in my life. I have to apologize to people all the time, and that's unrighteousness. And God says, you can't carry it. It'll bring you down and your family and your country down. So tonight, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, here's what we're going to do for way of invitation, and we're going to be done. Would you be willing tonight, as David